Hi, I'm Mark Schroeder and welcome to my podcast. I'm a Christian who's convinced that the Bible is true and actually is the best way to get to know God, the one who has saved us in Jesus. This podcast is a collection of Bible bits and pieces, Bible talks that I've given in all kinds of contexts. You see, I'm an ordained Anglican minister working in Sydney, Australia as a college chaplain. My main role is to teach the Bible in a Peter 12 Anglican school. But also from time to time, I preach in church, I speak at youth groups, or I teach the Bible at other youth events. I hope that this podcast is a great way of you getting to know God a little bit better and helping you to figure out what it means to live for Him because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Hi everyone, Uh, here's a talk that I gave at my church at Campbelltown Anglican Church. Uh, It's on Mark chapter 2 and it's a story about where Jesus heals a paralysed man. I hope you enjoy it, it's a little bit of a different talk because this one's a sermon uh, in a church rather than a chapel service at a school. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, As always, feel free to get in touch with me uh, via Twitter or via the link that's in this uh, podcast um, on the Anchor app. Um, Hope you enjoy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to your word now, please incline our hearts and minds to see Jesus for who he truly is. The one who has come with the authority to forgive us from our sin and free us from our guilt. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus has just healed a leper. And because of the story that the leper has disobediently spread around the land, people have come from everywhere to see Jesus. They're coming to hear him, to see him. No matter where he goes, even to the lonely places, great crowds of people would come to follow Jesus. Today, as we read this next section of Mark, we discover that only a few days after the healing of that leper, people do come to Jesus and they gather around him. And I hope you noticed as we read that chapter, thanks Kyle for reading, as Kyle read that for us, we saw that people gathered in such a number that they fill a house to the point that it's overflowing. And Mark tells us that there's not even enough room at the door. People are everywhere. The thing is, as I look at that, I get it. I can understand why people are there and why people are following Jesus around. I can imagine myself hearing about Jesus and wondering about him. I also understand the attraction of following him around and witnessing him firsthand and seeing the things that he was doing and hearing the things that he was teaching. And I hope that if I was there then, that I too would have actually been in that crowd watching to see Jesus do his thing and eagerly looking on to see what he was about to do or what he was about to say next. Well, in this crowd described by Mark, our attention is drawn to four blokes And they're seen in Capernaum heading towards the house where this massive crowd has gathered. And what they're doing is they're carrying a mat and on that mat is a paralysed man. A man who is powerless to move himself, let alone gather in his own strength with the rest of that crowd. This makes obvious sense, doesn't it? Here are these guys, they've come to Capernaum because Jesus is here. Jesus is in the town and here is a man, possibly their friend, we don't know, who is paralysed and so you can imagine their thinking, their logical decision to take him to Jesus. After all, if he can heal a man with leprosy, then maybe he can heal this paralysed man too. 
Maybe the leper came and spoke to the paralyzed man. Or maybe they just heard the hearsay around town from this paralyzed man as well about Jesus and what he was doing. About six years ago, Nicole, my wife, uh, and I, we went to Vietnam on a holiday. Uh, One evening, we ventured out for dinner. Uh, We walked through the city streets. It was nice and calm and quiet. And we found this neat little restaurant that was tucked away in this little, little Vietnamese garden moment like a little it was random right it was like a an alley and there was all these green vines and stuff it was really lovely we had this really nice dinner there but later on we needed to walk home and as we walked home back through the city there was this crowd that had just gathered a massive crowd I've never seen a crowd this same size and and we continued to walk into this crowd until the point that we actually stalled out where we were I don't know if you've ever been in a big crowd before. Up until this point, the biggest crowd that I ever had seen was at the Royal Easter Show, but actually in the old showbag pavilion. Has anyone been to the old showbag pavilion? Like the really old one. This is the one where you used to have to just go and hope for the best, right? Before they started to herd people like cattle at the front of it. You've seen what they do that now? They've got this little fence so you have to walk around in a big snake and there's a security guard saying, wait there, mate, you can't go in, it's too full. Back then it was like game on. Everyone's in there. And so you'd be walking around shoulder to shoulder, bumping and squeezing around. And all you want is that neat little birdie beetle bag, right? Uh, That's the biggest crowd for me at that time. But here, in the middle of Vietnam, in this foreign country where I spoke English and everyone spoke something different, here we were in this crowd going, oh my goodness, we can't walk anymore. My wife, Nicole, she looked at me and said, I can't see above the heads of people to see where we need to go. How are we going to get back to our hotel? I said, I got this. I'm massive, right? So I could see where we need to go above all these teeny tiny Vietnamese people. (laughs) No, like, people taking photos of me, right? It's weird. (laughs) One person said, you're very tall, and then click, took a photo. <laughs> Random. Anyway, I could see where I was going, and so I said, Get, go behind me here, and Nicole did, and she grabbed onto my shirt with both hands. I reached around, and I also grabbed one of her wrists, and I put my head down, and I burrowed like a little Aussie wombat <laughs> through this crowd, right? Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, bumping our way through, squeeze, 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 until finally we popped out the other side of this crowd. The crowd was incredible. There were people dressed like Vietnamese dragons, dancing around, banging drums. It was a new moon festival right it was crazy the thing is here's this crowd that we see in mark 2 and the guys these men these four blokes carrying this paralyzed man on the mat come to this big crowd and there's no clear way for them to get through that crowd to see jesus maybe they could have done what i had done right maybe they could have just bumped their way through the crowd and carried the paralyzed man through but let's be honest that would have been pretty tricky right they're carrying a man in a mat That's pretty hard to get through a big crowd, so they come up with a different option. And verse 4 tells us what it is. Since they could not get get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the the mat the man was lying on. Down through the roof, you can imagine it, can't you? Down through the roof, right in front of Jesus in the house where he was teaching. To help you imagine this properly, you need to understand what homes like these were like back then. Homes didn't have a pointy roof like your house and my house. Homes were like a box. They had a flat roof and a set of stairs running up one side of the home. The roof from one wall to one wall was like beams, sort of like this one. You can imagine those beams are going across one thing to one, th- one side of the wall to one side of the wall. And there were lots of those beams. And then interlaced of those beams were reeds and grasses and thatching. And then in that, 
It's packed on top of it, hard packed down was mud, and that mud would be smoothed over and it would get hard baked, and you could actually go up there and stand up there. And it would end up being something like an alfresco area or your back barbecue area that you've got in your backyard. I think it would have been a really nice place to go and just enjoy the cool of the day from your rooftop balcony. Interestingly, I've discovered that in some cases, some of those roofs actually grew grass. Could you imagine needing to mow your roof? (laughs) Anyway, these four men, they put into action what must have seemed like a harebrained idea, don't you think? But incredibly, it works. From the roof, these men began to dig in towards Jesus, maybe hacking away at the roof with tools or maybe grabbing a deck chair and smacking it to the ground or just simply pulling chunks of mud and grass out of the roof with their hands and punching it through with their feet. They dig and they dig, but clearly they dig with determination to make a hole that is big enough so that the mat and the man are able to be lowered down to Jesus. It's incredible to see how these men's belief in Jesus to bring relief to the paralyzed man was so active. Their belief in Jesus was activated. They were determined and they did not let a busy crowd, a full house or even a hard-baked roof stop them from getting to Jesus. I think we need to pause here. We need to pause here for a moment and be a bit inspired by these blokes. Look at their activated belief in Jesus. Look at their faith. Is your belief in Jesus activated like this? How determined are you to get to Jesus? The reality is you are faced with so many options in this world. There are so many things in this world, therefore, that have the potential to block us, to block you in your Christian life. But we must remember that Jesus is everything we need in this world. So don't let anything block you from getting to Jesus. That could include your friends. It could include your social life, your downtime, your work. It could include gaining and maintaining a healthy body or just struggling with the body that you have. Whatever it is, don't be blocked in getting to Jesus in this life. I was encouraged the other day when speaking to a newish Christian who told me how since becoming a Christian, they've made huge efforts to remove and to cut off distractions and obstacles that get in the way of knowing Jesus better. I love that this person has been active in their faith, doing whatever it takes so that they can follow Jesus because Jesus is everything. So just take a moment here. Actually reflect. Consider for yourself, is your belief in Jesus activated? Is your faith in Jesus so active that you are willing to dig through anything so as to come to Jesus? Well, once this man has been lowered down through the roof to Jesus, and maybe even once the owner of the house has come out and sort of sweeped up and calmed down a little bit because now he's got this massive hole in his roof, we see in verse 5 that Jesus observes the faith of the men and he addresses the paralytic and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. You need to understand that this makes perfect sense for Jesus to say this. For a Jew, sin connected with suffering. 
It was commonly held that if a person suffered, they must have sinned. And we see an example of this in Job chapter 4, verse 7. You should have heard of Job before. A whole bunch of terrible things happened to Job. And in the narrative that follows, all these different people come and talk to Job and give him some advice or give him a word. And one of those people is a guy called Eliphaz. And he comes and he speaks up to Job and he says in chapter 4, verse 7, Who, being innocent, has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? You can see his thinking, right? His point is simply that suffering comes to those who sin. And this could be why Jesus says what he does here. This could be why Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven, to give him some sort of assurance. You can go out now guilt-free. Or it could be something else. It could actually be that Jesus is just in the business of forgiving sins. But more on that later. Either way, one thing is sure. These four men bring this paralyzed man to Jesus for one thing. But Jesus meets this man in his greatest need. Jesus looks beyond the terrible paralysis of this man and saw his deeper need. That is, the forgiveness of sin. The freedom from guilt that he needed. This is such a radical statement for Jesus to make. And it draws attention from some of those people that are standing in the crowd, a certain collection of people, the teachers of the law in verse 6. And these guys, they hear what Jesus says and they think to themselves something. Interestingly, they only think it and Jesus knows what they're thinking. Amazing, isn't it? And they think in verse 7, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is such an incredible thought for them to have. For as they question Jesus' words, they precisely identify who Jesus is. What they don't realise is that Jesus talks like this because Jesus is the God who is able to forgive sin. This is why Jesus came. Jesus didn't simply come to heal some guy with leprosy. Didn't, Jesus didn't just simply come to heal a paralytic. But Jesus came to forgive because Jesus is divine. In this moment, as Jesus forgives a paralyzed man, Jesus is claiming that he is the powerful and forgiving God. This moment on the dusty floor of a lounge room, which now has a brand new skylight, is where Jesus is claiming that he is as the teachers of the law have already considered, God alone. However, it's one thing for Jesus to say something like this, but it's another thing to actually do it, isn't it? And herein lies the problem. Jesus has made a claim, a claim that sins are forgiven, but where is the proof? Well, let's read on, verses 8 to 12. Verse 8, Jesus challenges their thinking. And in verse 9, he says, which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? Jesus knows that it's easy to say something that can't be proven. That way, the claim can't be challenged. So Jesus goes on to put everything on the line, all the while knowing that he's actually got the goods. He's actually got what it takes to prove his claim. And so Jesus introduces a new phrase to be uttered. 
Essentially, Jesus invites these teachers of the law to tell Jesus to command the paralysed man to get up, take your mat and to walk. But before they can do that very thing, Jesus, the son of man, I hope you notice that phrase, Jesus, the son of man, that means he is the one who has come with the authority to execute God's saving purposes here as God's representative. Jesus, the son of man, but also Jesus, the son of God, who shares the very nature God, who can both forgive and judge. Jesus, though a man, is God's unique and divine representative. And so he has the authority to not simply heal, but to forgive sins. And so Jesus sort of cracks his knuckles a little bit, shakes himself off and says, what? Walk. He brings the proof. Jesus says to the paralytic in verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. You can imagine the silence of the large crowd, couldn't you? Up until this point, they've been squeezing in and trying to look in and see what's Jesus doing. But all of a sudden there's this moment of tension, a great command, and then silence as everyone looks, waiting for a movement. Other man's legs going to move? And then, of course, he shuffles to his feet. He bends over, he picks up his mat, and he walks out of the house fully, publicly, and completely healed. Off he goes, parting an amazed crowd who had never seen anything like this before. What a scene, isn't it? What an amazing moment in Mark's gospel. But the thing is, are you paying attention? Are you watching? Are you seeing what's going on here? Here is Jesus, front and centre. Look at what he has done, but realise who he is. This is Jesus, the Son of Man, who has the authority to forgive. And do you want proof? Just look, there it goes, out the door. Look at the proof of the man who couldn't walk, but he now can. But don't just stand there looking at the Jesus who forgives, but seek him out. Accept the forgiveness that he offers to you. The simple reality is that you desperately need Jesus. You desperately need forgiveness from him. I'm sure that you know deep down that you are, as I am, a failure. There's not a day that goes by when we don't display mountains and mountains of evidence to prove that we are failures in our own ability to impress God or to live up to his standard. Maybe it's an unkind word, an ugly thought, or an ungodly desire. Maybe it's in a moment of selfish envy or unbridled greed. Maybe it's in a moment of pride when we have to be the centre of attention or we even steal some of God's glory. Perhaps it's in acts of gluttony or in the desires of lust. Maybe it's in an instant when our hearts are cold and lack sympathy for the poor, the sick or the suffering. Maybe it shows itself when we are jealous of the beauty or power of another. Perhaps it's revealed when we surrender our hearts once again to some worthless earthbound idol. Perhaps it shows itself when we take what is not ours to take or fail to give what we have been called to give. The reality is somehow and in some way we all do that sort of thing every single day. 
We all fall short of God's righteous standard. We are all paralyzed and unable to be what God has created us to be. In light of this, though, we can really only do three things as I see it. Number one, we can commit to being evidence deniers. We can work every single day to convince ourselves that we are actually okay when really we're not. We can comfort ourselves with plausible arguments for our righteousness and so give ease to our conscience. Or two, in the face of failure, we can wallow in guilt. Woe is me, we can say. I'm a sinner. I can, we can beat ourselves up because we did not do better and then we can just try and work harder at hiding our failure from God and from others. Or thirdly, in the brokenness and grief of conviction, we can make our way to Jesus. Knowing that he is the son of man who has come with the authority to forgive sins. In this third way, I think we can end up imitating those men that we saw at the beginning of this chapter. Those men in Mark 2 with their activated faith in Jesus. But the difference is for you and the difference is for me that we seek out Jesus knowing that he has the divine power and the divine compassion to meet us in our greatest need of sin. Hopefully when we make our way to Jesus, we do so because we know that Jesus is here to forgive us from our sin. Campbelltown, tune in, listen, hear this. Jesus came and he died for you so that you would be forgiven. Jesus is here to forgive you and to bring you resurrection to eternal life. If you are unsure of this and if you want proof, just flick ahead in your Bibles a few pages and look and see how Jesus really died and look and see how Jesus really rose again from the dead and know that because Jesus has done that, that your sin is forgiven and that Jesus can bring you life. Know today, tonight, right now, at 11 past 7 on the 8th of March, that Jesus can forgive you from your sin. Jesus can give you life and you desperately need him. You need to realise today that your way of life has not been and will never be on the basis of your right ability to stand right with God. You can't do that on your own. Being in right relationship with God will only come when you seek forgiveness from Jesus, the Son of Man, who has proven that he has the authority to forgive. So day by day, in whatever moment you face, in light of whatever you have done, no matter the struggle, no matter the depth of the sin in Jesus, And through faith in him, you can confidently approach God. You can approach God with freedom and confidence because in Jesus, you are forgiven. I don't know about you, but after considering that, I'm left feeling the same as that crowd in the house. Did you see what happened as the men walked out? They're amazed. They're left praising God. They've never seen anything like this. Jesus is the Son of Man who has proven that he has the authority to forgive. So seek him. Be forgiven by him 
and do it today. I'm going to pray to finish. But in light of everything that I've said, and I'm going to pray in light of everything that we've learnt from God's word about Jesus being the forgiving son of man. But can I challenge you to listen carefully to this prayer and if you say amen to this prayer, if you agree with it and if you want to know more about what it means to be forgiven by Jesus, maybe come and talk to me. Come and talk to Mick or to Simon. Talk to another person in this room who is a Christian and who loves you. Because when you're forgiven by Jesus, the promise is that you can be freed from your paralysis of sin. And you can make your home with God forever. So let's pray. Holy Lord, we have sinned time and time again and we are guilty of pride and unbelief. We're guilty of failure to find your mind in your word. We are guilty of neglect to see you in our daily life. Our sin and shortcomings present us with a list of accusations that you can rightly bring against us. But today we stand amazed and we praise you for you will not stand against us because all due to Jesus, we are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Equip us with everything good for doing your will. Work in us what is pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Uh, I hope that was an encouraging opportunity for you to learn something more from God's word about how he has loved us and how he has saved us and who he calls us to be in Jesus. Feel free to get in contact with me via Twitter at mrk underscore Schroeder.